to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network. Maybe you're listening on your phone. Maybe you're listening on the internet. Whatever it is, you are listening to Faith FM, the breakfast show. It is Wednesday morning and you are joined by, well, a fresh team here, Lawson and... Robert. Welcome, guys. Oh, Thanks for coming. Robert. Thank you for coming back. We had you on last week. It was fantastic. Oh, I couldn't keep away, mate. Glad to be here. <laughs> That's so good. And you're going to be hanging out with it for us, uh, with us for a couple different days, uh, this week or pretty much at the end of the week, right? Yeah, mate. Even when you're not here, I guess. Yeah. To stay, so. so it's going to be Robert and myself today. And then tomorrow we're going to have a fully fresh team. We're going to have Robert and one of the Tableland Explorers, James Pontil. And then on Friday, Lars coming back, but I'm going to be away because I'm heading down to Melbourne. But, um, yeah, dude, awesome to have you here. So oh, good. What, great to be here. You what, just said there's going to be a, a, a Tableland Explorer. That sounds yeah, exciting. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, it's from our show, our Faith FM program, Tableland oh, Explorers. Good, yes. but, yeah, up in the Tablelands, you know, but they get around up there, surely. They're, they're, yeah, <laughs> people who live in the Tablelands do some exploring because there's not much to do in one place. Uh, well, that was kind of rude. <laughs> that was kind of rude. What are, Robert, what are you grateful for this morning? Mate, I'm grateful for... Uh, the way God works in our life. Amen. Talking about the table lands, I grew up in Darwin, and you know, I just ah, think of where go. I came from. Such an isolated place, knew very little about the rest of Australia and the rest of the world. And really, you know, Darwin was Australia. And so mm. to to actually have have had that isolated upbringing and yet to experience how God changes our life takes us to such new directions. Mm. I'm just so thankful that he cares about us and he watches our steps. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. I could say I'm, uh, in terms of watching our steps, I'm definitely grateful for a similar thing. I'm heading down to Melbourne tomorrow. It has been an unfolding, you know, uh, experience of, are we going to go? Are we not going to go? And we're heading down there to learn about how we can more effectively do university ministry here in Newcastle. So God has oh, blessed nice. us. We're getting down there and it's going to be really, really amazing and powerful. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Coming up in today's show, we're going to be covering a few different news stories on specifically Nigeria and some of the wild things that are happening over there, how the U.S. Department is being urged to call it a country of concern. We're also going to be checking in with the Vatican and seeing how they have actually offended one of our very vocal online communities. All right, Robert, what's happening in the world of positively different news? Well, we've we got a couple of really interesting stories here. This oh, awesome. first one comes out of Ethiopia. Oh, let's go. We're talking about uh, somebody from, uh, I believe it's Australia or America, but uh, mm. her name's Michelle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she went to Ethiopia with her husband and children to help prostitutes. And so they went with a really wow. powerful plan and a, a great desire, you know, to help people who are struggling in this world, who may be in situations where they'd rather not be and they don't know what else to do. Uh-huh. They've gone across to help these people. And yet after five years of abuse, mm. being bruised and battered by the alcoholism and abuse of their own husband, Oof. you know, here they are. They've gone to help in this country and being isolated from everything they knew. Now she finds herself incredibly um, struggling and trying to figure out which way to go. She realized after five years, I'm starved of hope. Mm. I'm broken. I'm the one who needs to be fixed. She says, what I didn't know is that I was the one who was about to be restored. And that's what she's written in a book called Into the Garden. Wow. People may want to Google it, see if there's 
a copy they can find into the garden, an incredible story of a woman who found faith, purpose and hope when she was at rock bottom and felt like there was no hope. Mm. That is incredible. Like, uh, so, yeah, Lyle and myself went to Ethiopia a couple of years ago, uh, something that we we actually did the show over in Ethiopia, and it's something we've, we've talked about quite quite wow. extensively, our experiences <laughs> over there. And it, it, Ethiopia is an interesting place because whilst it is mostly a Christian nation and um, while we were over there, we kind of got out of the capital city down into the second biggest city, Hawassa, um, and for the most part, like, it felt like a pretty safe, nice place. That's how I felt anyway. I, I felt relatively safe. Um, and But at the same time, being that it is such a poor country, a third world developing country, um, yeah, definitely these professions are, uh, are still rife there. And it's it's awesome that she uh, Michelle made the decision to get over there and to help these people. But then going through that as well, that's, man, that's tough. But it shows like she really has a heart to, to serve um, but also a heart that needs restoring, as she said. Yeah, and that there's a God mm. who loves so much that in life when we have unexpected turns, there's a God there. Wow. Not just a God, but the incredibly loving, all-powerful, mm. you know, the chiefest among 10,000s. Mm. That's why he's the best. And incredibly powerful as well. I, I'm sure in her book she probably opens up about, you know, that experience of Jesus knocking on the door of her heart and, yes. and coming in. That's that's amazing. What, what else is happening in the world of positively different news? Well, mate, we've got a story of 65 cats, and this <laughs> is phenomenal. Well, okay, because- okay. If Lyle was here, he would immediately just shut you down and say there's nothing involving cats that are phenomenal other than killing them. Yeah, well, Lyle would be about to be turned on his head because oh. <laughs> these 65 cats, check this out, the connection, all of a sudden he'd be like, oh, really? Um, <laughs> but we're talking about these cats as the favoured employees at the world-renowned Hermitage Museum in mm. Russia. Okay. Check out okay. some of this history. All right. Uh-huh. All That's right. right, Lauren. All right. Check this out. Like the building itself, the cats which roam freely around the basement of the Hermitage in St. Petersburg have endured through changing fortunes. Mm. Originally brought into the massive Baroque building by Empress Elizabeth I to catch mice, the 65 felines have outlived and even replaced the czars which adopted them. Mm. They're treated like royalty in the cat's quarters where they enjoy 24-hour veterinary care, feeding, and freedom from the adoring public thanks to their own press secretary. Catherine the Great reportedly called them the guardians of the galleries, though they aren't allowed into the galleries of what was once the Winter Palace and what has become the largest museum in the world. And most people don't even know they exist. That. Okay, that is an epic story. That is like, and, and, and oh, I'm pretty sure Lyle is listening right now. If he's not, then shame on him. But if he's listening right now, like, because this involves his least favorite thing, cats, and he's one of his favorite things, history. I reckon we got him, mate. I think we do. Because yeah. cats are actively assisting the teaching and the increase of knowledge of history. That's it. And And then they're like, but also, what if Lyle, whilst Lala hates cats, and the reason he hates cats is because they attack native animals in Australia, like feral cats do. But then Lyle also is like a big proponent of, you know, animal control, and 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 he is very against invasive species. And these mice, as an invasive species, the cats are controlling it. 
But Lyle, right. what are you going to say? Oh, please tell me he just texted me. No, he hasn't texted me. <laughs> please, Lyle, please text him. Maybe maybe he's out like deep in the bush right now, camping, doing something. He can't hear us. But we need to clip this and send it to him if he's not listening right now. I think he might be hiding. But, but also, 0491064669, give us, give us a call or text in for your support of these incredible cats. We need to, we need a poll right here of like, okay, the, you know, I will agree with Lyle, feral cats in Australia are not a good thing, but at the same time, these cats who are absolutely getting the job done, let us let us know what you think. Yeah. What else is happening in positively different news? A really interesting one. You know, I, I'm leaning toward animals today because I love animals. I love oh, nature. Amazing. I love photography out of nature. Yes. And these researchers in California have captured footage of one of the most striking sea creatures you will ever see called the Stygiomedusa. Oh, Gigantia. What is it? AKA the giant phantom jellyfish. This oh, okay. This guy has only been seen nine times in literally thousands of dive trips. Wow. To the lightless depths of the ocean. Mm. And this is the research done at the uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium mm. Research Institute. Yes. This unmanned submersible captures these incredible images. And this jellyfish, if you could see it, I tell you what, this guy's worth Googling. It has this... The, the main body looks looks like a rounded hat from like the 1960s. Mm. These beautiful flowing tentacles, really thick, and this thing is like red, uh, almost a purpley. The colours are fascinating and such a striking, imposing uh, creature. So, mm. you know, it just reminds us in heaven, God says there are so many things that we don't know, we haven't seen yet. Mm. There are things on this earth we haven't seen, and the more things we uncover, the more we, we realise our God is infinite. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Things for us. We're never going to get bored in heaven. Mm. Particularly when we talk about the ocean, like the depths of of the ocean that is so unexplorable because of that barrier of, uh, firstly, sight. Well, actually, firstly, not being able to breathe underwater. Secondly, sight. You get to a point where you can't see. It's just absolutely pitch black with no light penetrating whatsoever. And so, wow, it's like that. Wait, how big did you say this jellyfish was? You know, I didn't because I haven't seen the size. Yeah. Here we go. Three foot long head with a four. Okay. And he's got four 30 foot long tentacles. 30 foot long tentacles. That's right. So, okay. So his his body is, is a meter, like the head is a meter long and the tentacles are 10 meters. That's right. That is At giant. Least. That is ginormous, dude. That is incredible. Wow. I, oh, man, I, I highlighted a story last week about how, you know, in terms of rare sea animals, uh, they, they came across uh, the albino, you know, um, the albino sperm whale. Like, it's they see it, like, once every six years popping yeah. up in different locations and stuff like that. Again, it's so incredible, the underwater world and the things that we don't know about it. But it's just, like, when we finally get, you know, a peek through the lens, it's like... Man, there is so much going on here. God gave creation so we could see his character. Ah, amen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay. All right. Let's get into some current news, some oh, yes. heavy news around the world. As I mentioned um, in our Intro section, uh, the U.S. is being urged to reinstate Nigeria as a country of particular concern because more Christians are being killed in Nigeria at the moment than anywhere on earth. 
Oh, no. Which is incredibly heavy. Um, the US Secretary of State actually removed Nigeria from the list last month. Um, and basically, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom has called this an appalling act. Um, mm. Because it really, once you remove, once the US State Department removes um, a country as a country of concern, then, you know, political pl- pr- uh, pressure, not only from the United States, but from a lot of countries around the world, tends to ease off. Even though, um, essentially, according to a lots of people who are observing Nigeria and who are in Nigeria at the moment, the country is essentially on the brink of a religious civil war. Um, well, a civil war that has been very much fueled by religion. Apparently, uh, at least 17 Christians are being murdered in Africa every single day. Um, and now mass killings are a national emergency. Uh, Christians are being massacred on a near daily basis in targeted attacks. And this is the the, the important point because it's like, oh, if they're just at war and 17 Christians die amongst thousands of people, well, then, you know, that's something. That's, well, that's just a statistic. And, you know, there are a fair mm-hmm. few people in Nigeria who are Christian. But, no, these are specifically Christian attacks organized by, um, you know, terrorist groups, uh, the biggest one being the Boko Haram um, terrorists along with the Fulani militants um, who are both essentially um, attempting to um, Islamize the nation to mm. to bring that in into government. Um, and as a result of that, they are being killed. The spokesperson of this, uh, this the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, Andrew Boy, Boyd, he was quoted saying, they attack the villages by night, they fire shots, drive villages out, and they lie in wait um, w- uh, for them with machetes. I've seen the victims in displaced camps, including children, and it is absolutely appalling. And apparently the Nigerian government, having not much power over this situation, is doing precious little to protect Christian minorities. Um, and they are kind of... In a way, consenting to to the, what's going on with the with the terrorism over there, um, as the Nigerian government is also in the position right now to want to Islamize the country as well. So it's in, an incredibly sad affair. It is something that um, we definitely need to pray for. Um, and I also highlighted a story this morning. Well, I've, I've it has come to my attention as well as a story, a different story about Nigeria, but specifically how they're targeting, targeting leaders of churches and clergymen. Um, the most recent case was Reverend, uh, and I'll try and say this name correctly, uh, Reverend Dauda Batur, he is a senior pastor of the Evangelical Church Winning All um, Church, which is, it's a, you know, a lot of the churches in these areas are usually non-denominationals, you know, started by um, a particular leader. This is this is one of them. The Let's call it the ECWA Church, um, started by this guy and his wife. Um, they were abducted. Well, he specifically was abducted abducted from his farm uh, in Kaduna State in Nigeria on the 8th of November um, while his wife was uh, left there and then given messages, you know, from the terrorists for ransom um, after she couldn't come up with, you know, the money or respond or anything like that. They abducted her as well and reached out to the extended family. Um, She ended up being released on the 6th of December, but unfortunately he was, he was the terrorist group that had abducted them claimed to release him. um, But ultimately his life was ended under that. And, And this is again, multiple, you know, 
multiple of these particular att- attacks and abductions happening just on the 31st of October. Gunmen attacked the Emmanuel Baptist Church um, within Nigeria as well, uh, killing two people and abducting 66. Again, another attempt to try to get money, um, ransom money out of these people and um, basically fund their cause to go forward and to yeah spread their religious and political ideologies. Now, the big point here is this is terrible. This is awful. Um, and I guess the first thing that this place needs is prayer. The second thing that this that Nigeria needs at the moment is support. And there is a number of different foundations you can go to. Um, the charity who was involved with the Reverend Dada Batur case, um, who has been working with those guys, they're the Christian Solidarity. Uh, they're, called, they're a charity called CSW, Christian Solidarity Worldwide. Um, you can also go on to Voice of the Martyrs, who is doing amazing work over there as well. We had Etienne McClintock on the show recently. We love Etienne. We get him on every month to give us a report about how Christians are being persecuted around the world. Mm-hmm. And we know that Voice of the Martyrs are already working over in Nigeria as well. So this is a place that is definitely seeking, it's, it's searching, it needs help. Um, Christians over there are being absolutely destroyed. And it shows me, you know, because often Christians in this circumstance, like the reason that they're being killed um, because they, if they converted to Islam, they wouldn't be killed. Like yeah. that's that's the simple reality. You can see the tides changing over there. You're seeing okay, every Christian is you know getting attacked um, in an attempt to Islamize the country by militants and rebels. It's a it's a national crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, in in that sense, you could say, oh well, why don't all these Christians just convert? And it's because like they love their Lord, they love their faith. They love, you know, they love God. They know what they believe and they're standing strong in their beliefs, even to death. And it's incredibly inspiring, um, but also, yeah, again, saddening. And we need to do what we can to support Christians in these areas. And so, as I said, uh, give us a call, actually, 0491 If you want to get connected to any of these charities or organizations, we can definitely hook you up. Uh, but yeah, in other news, I mentioned the Vatican as well. So this is, this is really interesting because we see, okay, we look at Nigeria, we see Christians suffering their persecution, and then we come to the Vatican, we come to the Western world, uh, where Christianity is kind of existing within the social space. And even the Vatican is being blown by social politics, uh, blown around by social politics at the moment more than anything else. And we know that, you know, uh, big and real and earth-changing politics are happening in these different spaces. You know, we talked yesterday about the UN and the Vatican and how this is all moving and shaking. But now we kind of move to the online world uh, where essentially the Vatican uh, issued an apology for causing great pain to the entire LGBTQ community. Now, um, this has been... The Vatican, the LGBT community have been having constant... um, it's it's strange because it, you could say run-ins, but then they seem to be allied, but then they seem to have problems. And it's this weird relationship that's going on where mm. the Pope stands up and says, oh, we love LGBTQ people. Um, you know, we don't want to reject them or shun them. But then he also says up and says, we don't condone the homosexual lifestyle. And then they stand up and say, oh, well, we'll be a champion of LGBT rights, LGBTQ rights. And then he'll, you know, and it just keeps going back and forth and it keeps yo-yoing. And I guess this is another event that has happened in this saga where, but definitely more in the kind of online space where the Vatican from its official website uh, removed a link to a resource material 
um, from a Catholic gay rights advocacy group. Uh, now, this Catholic gay rights advocacy group, um, they are called New Ways Ministry. Um, the link was to a webinar that was um, talking about, you know, LGBTQ Catholics who feel excluded or marginalized by the church um, and how they can receive support. Um, so essentially, they've removed this link. I, and this is a, a, the big question has come out as to why. Um, and now they have denied it was because of any kind of reason other than inter- internal procedural reasons. But I, I don't, mm. essentially, they haven't elaborated. Um, they, you know, they haven't really given any reason as to why. Um, and then, yeah, many of the LGBTQ community, those who are Catholics, and it's all, it started with those who are paying attention, who are usually like Catholic LGBTQ members. Um, and then it grew to those who aren't Catholic, you know, in the, in the kind of online space, um, whether it be on Twitter or another, you know, any other social medias where LGBTQ people kind of rally together to usually talk and vocalize their opinions on different issues like this. Um, yeah, they, you know, were very vocal about, oh, you're leaving us out, you're excluding us. Mm. And now the, the Vatican has apologized and reinstated the link. And again, like, yeah. It's just crazy to see that even the Vatican, which, you know, we're talking about terrorist organizations killing Christians before, the Vatican, which at one time was uh, functioning as an organization that was causing pain and killing millions of people throughout the Dark Ages because of faith reasons, um, because of faith reasons, are now being themselves blown around by the social politics and minutiae of the West Western world. Mm. Um, and even though they've made their position clear of how they feel about the LGBT community there, it kind of just seems to be jumping back and forth and back and forth. And it just shows me like, man, we are in, this world is in deep need for prayer. It for, sure is. To come back to God, to, to open our hearts to him, to pray for, for purity on, on all of these different issues and to, to ask him to, to help us and to guide us to weather these different storms. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, now we have David Haupt on the phone. David, are you there with us? I am. Good morning, Lawson, and good morning to your listeners. Yes, good morning. Oh, so great to have you here. Now, we're going to be having a conversation that's going to be a continuation on a topic that we talked about last week, specifically in relation to in-laws and dealing with them. I thought, Lawson, that sorry for chipping in here, I thought we were talking about outlaws. Outlaws? Uh, Sometimes in-laws can become outlaws. <laughs> Fa- Excellent. Family, family criminals is a family crime. <laughs> that's that's yeah. classic. Now, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I know that uh, Lyle and you talked about this last week, kind of dived into um, the problem with sometimes like that can come up with in-laws, specifically diving into when um, there isn't a clear separation between, you know, the two people in a relationship and their parents, and it can kind of cause trouble and harm within that marital relationship. Now, for me, um, I'm not married. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't have that experience. But I, I believe we're just gonna gonna get into it with the um, the in laws, how we should go about it, how we should deal with it, and and open up about that. So let's go for it. Let's get into the comments. Let's jump right into it, David. Lawson, just a summary on last week. We spoke about what do we do when in-laws actually are trying to break up your marriage. Oh, wow. In other words, there's there's a toxicity in, in that relationship. And we spoke about the importance of 
parents as well as spouses to actually leave their parents and and, and um, parents to cut off that tie, that connection that they have with their child in terms of the control and allow their, their child to actually live in a new relationship. Mm. But what we often find is that parents want to maintain that uh, parental responsibility over their child in spite of the fact that the child might, uh, is an adult now and um, has been married now for some time. And mm. that can in actual fact bring about major problems in a, a new marriage. Mm. Uh, God's word says that um, you know a man must leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife and they will become one flesh. So why doesn't it say anything about the wife having to leave her parents? The reality is that um, in biblical time, she actually was brought by her parents in marriage to the husband and his family and would actually live she would live with her husband's family, an extended family. In, in other words, she has already left her family. Mm. It is not the husband's responsibility. So in reality, what Scripture is saying is that both parties need to leave um, the, the, their parents emotionally, uh, sometimes uh, because of economical pressure, they can't physically, but they need to leave their parents emotionally and they need to work towards cleaving to- together. But that not only is applicable to the the couple, it also is applicable to the parent mm. to have to let go of their child to build and encourage. And I used last week the example in my own relationship with my uh, daughter-in-law and son-in-law uh, they should have the right that I actually will be protecting their marriage relationship with my child. In other words, I will actually act in a way whereby I will encourage them to merge together and not interfere into that relationship. So the question that we need to continue on today is, what then if that doesn't take place? Mm, yeah, which is, uh, I think many people could attest that as you just laid it out there as such an, a vital and important thing when it doesn't take place, um, I guess we're going to be exploring, yeah, the problems that it can lead to. I, I believe, yeah, many of our listeners have probably experienced them. So yeah, let's dive straight in. So very practical things that uh, actually needs to be done is number one is that a couple, a young couple that are just getting married need to prioritize their marriage relationship above any other relationship that they have. Uh, In other words, uh, they actually need to signal to their parents that they have formed a union between each other and that they would respectfully towards each other live in that union and that they will not allow any third party to come in. And parents can, in actual fact, become that third party. It is a union between three people. It's a union between a husband and a wife and their God. Mm. Um, not a union between a a, a parent and uh, a husband and a wife. Mm. Um, and it is important, uh, Lawson, that uh, the spouse whose parents are cannot use the word are the outlaws in, in this relationship, in other words, are the troublemakers. It is that spouse 
whose parents are causing the problem, it is that spouse's responsibility to deal with the parents. Mm. Because the moment that the son-in-law, daughter-in-law have to set boundaries, what's going to happen? They're going to be targeted. Mm. I uh, just recently worked with a case, and I better be very careful what I say, where I encourage the, uh, the daughter or the son, and I say to them, you have to be the one that sets the boundaries with your parents. Yes. I had to do it in my own relationship with my parents where my father wanted to maintain that son-father relationship. Yes, I will continue and I'll continue to be his son until death, but the number one person in my marriage is my wife. So whenever personal things need to be discussed, it will be done with my wife. Mm. And uh, as I mentioned last week, if my son comes to me and says, Dad, I've been thinking about this, which I would like to do for for uh, my family. What's your thoughts on it? I would ask him this question. Have you already spoken to your wife about this? Yes. If his answer is no, it is my responsibility as a father to say to my son, first go and talk to your wife uh, before you come to talk to me. And it would be great for both of you to come and, and sit down with me, and I'm happy to talk to you. So it is my responsibility as a father to do that, but it's also responsibility then therefore for my son, for instance, to protect his wife if I would have ever wanted to interfere into their marriage. Mm. Now, it seems like there's there's a, an appeal here for, yeah, personal responsibility, and I, and I can see that that lays on the, the people who are engaging in that relationship, in the husband, in the wife, to make a, a clear boundary with their parents. Now, when this doesn't take place, is is there, like, significant harm that can come? Like, what what will then happen in the marriage? Significant harm can come. Distrust can happen. What often happens is that one of the, you know, the, the, the child of those parents, uh, that, that spouse often triangulates. That is a nice word for saying gossip. So mm. conflict arises as a couple tries to manage and navigate through, you know, their relationship. And instead of talking to each other about it, they start to go and talk to their parents, mm. which immediately builds a resistance in those parents against their, their spouse. And uh, what we see is a slow but surely alienation. And a parent eventually says, my child, your spouse is not good for you. I think it's time for you to come and, and move back in with us. Um, and we see a slow but surely os uh, oscillation towards that parent, and eventually that marriage dissolves. Um, just imagine if, if that happens and there's children already in that uh, you know, that marriage. You, you see a, a breaking up of the entire family unit mm -hmm. with children having to choose uh, Lawson, sometimes we, we find that there's parents that so manipulate that they will only allow, we're coming up to Christmas, that only allow their child and the children to come and visit them during this time. Mm, yikes. Um, here's a major choice that a couple needs to take. Number one, the spouse that is, uh, 
who is married into this family, uh, the moment that they want to force themselves or want to force their spouse to stay away from the parents, they are in trouble. Yeah. Totally. They become the troublemaker. Mm. When, let's put myself into that situation and my parents are the ones that are just wanting to meet with me during holiday time, the moment I actually step into that relationship and I leave my spouse and my kids behind and I go and meet with my parents alone, I'm saying to my spouse that they are more important, my parents are more important than what, what she is. Mm. So we are sending messages um unintentional messages which in actual fact will harm that relationship. And this is where a couple needs to prioritize themselves. They need to work through it. They need to talk through this. And if I would have been in the situation where my wife's parents is trying to break up our relationship, I will actually be intentional trying to build a relationship with her mm-hmm. parents, not forcing myself in, but try to build a relationship because I'm honoring my wife's DNA. Mm. I'm respecting her parents. That's my choice. I can't change them. I can only change myself. That is the only level of control that I have. But I will actually honor them, respect them, in spite of how they act towards me, and I will do kind acts and deeds for them to try and make life easier, hoping that it can soften and we can come to a point where we can communicate. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen and doesn't work, and therefore it is vital for this couple to actually work through their strategy. How are they going to send a message to each other that they've prioritized each other, but also send a message to the parents that they are united couple and nothing can break them. That might mean that uh, during holiday time that my spouse would go maybe for a day or two and visit her parents and then return back and that I'm okay with that Mm. because we've worked through that and we've processed it. But sometimes couples actually need to make that hard decision and say, uh, we're going to move. We're going to move as far as possible away from a toxic parental uh, relationship in order to secure our, our family and, and our marriage. Wow. Okay, we have about two minutes left. I want to ask you a specific question because this has been very, very insightful for me. But now I'm wondering, in specific circumstances, which I'll probably end up in one day because my, my family aren't Christian, yet I am, um, how how does how is that navigated when you enter in a in a relationship or a marriage with someone else who is of the same faith, but it's against the faith of your parents? And you know, I, I could imagine kind of awkward moments either at the wedding or during life or differences in raising kids that maybe the the parents don't agree with. What what do you see there? Because obviously you want to include your parents in your life, but if there's differences such as that, what steps can you take? When when parents reject, uh, you know, a couple's marriage because of a faith-based issue, or reject my the grandchildren don't want to see the grandchildren because of uh, a marriage or faith-based, uh, it is in actual fact a choice that those parents make. Um, it is their loss. It is not uh, the couple's choice, and we've got to be. 
uh, be prepared to do that, to, to respect that. But as a Christian, we always try to work towards a restoration of a relationship. And therefore, from a Christian couple's perspective, they will also always show that kindness, that respect, and try to honor those parents in spite of. But remember that it is not always because of your choice. It is often because of another person's choice. And don't try to force it, because forcing it can, in actual fact, cause more harm. Be respectful, but also remember that they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting that opportunity of actually building a relationship, having a, a, a very good relationship with either both of you as a couple or even with their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. It's their choice. Thank you so much, David. Very insightful stuff right here. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.